You're listening to The Sleuth Podcast. Real private investigators here to help you find the truth when you need to know. Sharing sometimes shocking, sometimes heartwarming, and sometimes hilarious stories from the field. We keep it real. Interviews with experts bring you insights on how people leverage PIs in their lives and in their businesses. Licensed by the North Carolina Department of Public Safety, here's your host, Jamie. Welcome, welcome, welcome. It's the Sleuth Podcast, your favorite sleuths here to give you the truth when you really need to know. Welcome to the show. What up, baby sleuth, <laughs> Candace here. Hey, baby James. How's it going? Oh, good child. So we have a new guest. Yay! Yay. Hello. Oh, nice little sweet voice there. Yeah. Who is this? The extra baby sleuth. Jess. <laughs> I love it. Infant hey, sleuth. How are you, Jess? Who are you? I'm very good. I am your marketing coordinator Yay. for Black Men Detective Services. She's saving our lives one, one post, post at, at a time. time. <laughs> Why are we the same person? Get out of my head. I was going to go one post or one meme. I was like, oh, they're I'm both good. Post at a time. Right. <laughs> so did I. Oh, really quick. Tanya told me she's got a great idea for you that you need to dress up like Bernie Sanders with the gloves <laughs> and do us a. Uh, a picture. <laughs> yeah, with Candace and the Bernie. I will absolutely put effort into that. Can I wear a Bernie mask? Yes. Yes. Okay. Cool. I'll make it for the gloves. You. I yeah. think he'd be okay with it. He knows he's my homie. Oh, he'd funny. get a I shirt of you <gasps> impersonating him. Yes. And wear that shirtception. Exactly. <laughs> Go ahead. Just tell then. us like two seconds about you. I want to know. I was just going to say the thing that you're thinking of is going to come up, so we don't need to bring that up. Oh okay. no. You'll see. Okay. Dun. <laughs> I want you to know my binder is in the car so I can show you all the nerdy stuff that I have. Super <laughs> nerd. I can go Jeez. get it. <laughs> well, we're already recording. You'll get on us. We'll lose our time. But just I do want to see it afterwards. Just as a super nerd and you all soon, all will soon know why. All right. Getting in. Today I'm going to be telling you two separate events that seemingly have nothing to do with each other. Seemingly, but instead we're going to say if these investigators, these detectives I work with, can figure it out what the connection is before the end. Look, I'm really good at stuff like this, so probably. Bring it on. <laughs> Lord. Okay, so first story. Have any of you heard of Jeffrey McDonald? Yes. No. Okay. I don't remember what he did, but that's okay. He does good. Bell. All right. So first we're going to start with Jeff McDonald. He was born December 12th, 1943, skipping all of his childhood because it doesn't matter. He uh, married Colette Stevenson on September 14th, 1963. They went on to have some kiddos. They had Kimberly in April of 64 and Kristen in May of 67. So our story starts off. They got two kids. They're chilling. Jeff was really smart. He went to school. He went to, I don't know where he did his undergrad. I forgot to write it down. (laughs) But he did med school at Northwestern. He graduated from there in 1968. After that, he did an internship at Columbia Presbyterian in New York, where he studied thoracic surgery, which I meant to Google because I'm not entirely sure what thoracic surgery is. I think it's like throat and chest. Because cardiothoracic is like this whole area. That would make sense. Yeah. Sounds like... We keep Joe around to be our Google machine, so he'll tell us in a second. So following med school, Jeff decided to join the Army. So he enlisted in the U.S. Army in July of six, on July 1st of 1969, and he right away became a Green Beret. 
So he was a Green Beret physician, which Green Berets are no joke. And I would assume that a Green Beret physician would have to do the same thing that the regular Green Berets do. He's got to be able to keep up. You would think. So, like, that means he could probably kill somebody with, like, his pinky or some weird shit like that. Like, those <laughs> those dudes are no joke. That so. is what they do. Just I know. Murder they just by walk pinky. around pinkies out. <laughs> boop, boop, boop. <laughs> so. <laughs> then, it's a really fancy way to murder somebody. Yes, exactly. And then he picks up his tiny T. Very proper. <laughs> okay. So then in September of 1969, he was stationed at Fort Bragg for uh, those of you who are unaware, is about an hour south of us here in Raleigh. It's in Fayetteville, North Carolina. And while there, he eventually earned the rank of captain. So he was like, he was like, it's big deal big down deal. there. Yeah. 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 Monday. Wait, I have a question. Yeah. Did we come up? Do we know what the. We were pretty much right. So <laughs> thoracic surgery was like throat, neck, I think the thoracic cavity, which didn't help me. So I had to look up what the heck the <laughs> thoracic cavity was. So throat, heart, lungs, and then, yeah, Green Beret. Surgeon is like a surgeon in the field. That's Green Bray. Yeah. Cool. Go team. All um, right. He probably doesn't have to have that much. I think he would still have to become a Green Beret because. But that takes time. He It took him between when he was at. You said 69. It was a year. I don't know. I don't know how long it takes. To I don't know a enough Green about this basic to... Green Beret training. Because like to become a Navy SEAL doesn't take that long. Okay. It's just really, it's like a really intense two weeks where they like try to kill you. And if you don't die, then you get to be a SEAL. <laughs> so yeah, we're trying to drown you over yeah. and over. And yes, exactly. <laughs> All right, fine. Okay. So I don't know, whatever. He was a Green Beret. Now he's chilling at Fort Bragg. So on Monday, February 16th, 1970, he and Colette were watching TV. The kids had already gone to bed. Uh, this was going to, whatever, I'll just ask it. 1970, watching TV late at night. What do you think they were watching? Oh, I was not even a thought. I, I was going to no say idea. Family Ties. Was that in the 70s? That's 80s. I don't know. Why are you looking at me? Think like, <laughs> not that old. Think like a late night TV show. Was, late night Johnny Carson? I yeah, think. they're watching The Tonight Show starring Johnny Carson. Yeah, Very I went, like, good, way Joe. Older. So, I had no idea. <laughs> I was like, Dick Van Dyke Show. Was, was that or like, Soul Train? That, that was, was the only thing I was thinking. Even close. <laughs> Soul Train, yes. <laughs> they're watching the show. Colette decides to go to bed and... Jeff seemingly fell asleep on the couch. Then, 3.42 a.m. on February 17th, dispatchers at Fort Bragg received an emergency call from Jeff McDonald. This is what it sounded like. This is what it sounds like. Help. 544 Castle Drive. Stabbing. 544 Castle Drive. Stabbing. Hurry. And then it sounded like... Like he dropped the phone. <laughs> so that's weird, right? Like whispering. Strange. Was it a woman or him? It was him? Jeff. It was him. Okay. Help. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> we need My the voice. voice. Help. 544 Castle Drive. You need to paint me a picture, Candace. 544 Castle Drive. Stabbing. Hurry. Okay. Better? <laughs> okay. Colette was found on their bedroom floor. She had been stabbed 21 times in the mm. chest with an ice pick, mm. 16 times in the neck with a knife, Sure, and her trachea had been severed in two places. Sounds like somewhere a thoracic surgeon would stab you. Oh, it's so weird that you say very that. thoracic of him. <laughs> Thoracical. Hmm. <laughs> Jeff was actually found, he was laying on the floor like next to Colette. They say that he was like, had like his head on her chest almost. 
And he uh, had some injuries as well, but he was still alive, obviously. And he was asking the officers to please go check on his kids because he said they'd heard them crying. So officers go to look. They found five-year-old Kimberly in her bed. She had been repeatedly bludgeoned and stabbed between eight and ten times. Her skull had been fractured. And one of the wounds on her face had caused her cheekbone to protrude through her skin. Shit. Ouch. Sorry. Yeah. Ah. His bed real bad. Not the kiddos. Two-year-old Kristen was also in her bed with her bottle nearby. She was stabbed 33 times with a knife and 15 times with an ice pick. Get the fuck out of here. This is the part that killed me the most. She had tiny little, she had like bruises and some slash marks like on her hands. From Fighting. defensive wounds. Aww. Trying to fight it off. That's, oh I hate that. I hate everything Killed about me. that. Oh. How could you have that much rage at, a, like, a small child? Two-year-old. Like, that child can't even say words yet, probably. Like, why are you that angry? I hope they right? can talk it, too. Oh, I'm, I'm really bad <laughs> at knowing what babies can do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. At, at two, can they walk? Can they think? What are they doing? I, I'm not sure. Uh, Sounds like a toddler. Note to the listeners, uh, Jess does not have any children. So everyone is safe. Like, like, no one's in trouble. It's fine. Okay. Moving on. Police also found the word pig written in blood on the headboard in Jeff and Colette's room. What does that make you think of? Manson. Very Manson-esque, eh? So you have to remember, this was 1970. So this was shortly after all the crazy Manson-ness had gone down. Jeff gets bandaged up and all that, but he he wasn't hurt too bad. And so he goes in to talk to the police, and this is what Jeff said happened. Around 2 a.m., he had just finished washing the dishes, and he went to his bed. But when he got there, Kristen, the two-year-old, was like asleep on his side of the bed and she had actually wet the bed. So he went and he picked her up and put her back in her bed. Obviously, he didn't want to sleep in the pee. So then he went and slept on the couch. So he fell asleep sometime later. I'm sorry, he fell asleep. And sometime later, he heard his wife screaming, Jeff, help, why are they doing this to me? And he says that as he got up off the couch, he was attacked by one black and two white males and that there was a fourth intruder who was a white female with long blonde hair, possibly a wig, who was wearing high-heeled knee-high boots and a white floppy hat, and she was standing in the corner holding a candle and chanting, Acid is groovy, kill the pigs. Sure. (laughs) (laughs) Jamie's looking at me like, what? (laughs) I am disturbed. Okay, I'm listening. I know, I wanted to your reaction. Uh, he said the men attacked him with a club and an ice pick with the female egging them on saying, hit him again. Sounds so totally real. And that's exactly what happened. <laughs> Jeff also said that at some point his pajama top got pulled up over his head. And so it came down around his arms and his wrists. And so since it was around his wrists, he was able to use it like a shield from the ice pick. Okay. And that would explain why why there's holes in his shirt because they were stabbing him and he was protecting himself. Not that he accidentally stabbed himself through the holes. It's not, no, it was a shield. Mm -hmm. And then at some point he was knocked unconscious in the hallway that led to the bedrooms. Eventually he came to and went down to his bedroom to check on his wife. She wasn't in good shape and he had attempted mouth-to-mouth resuscitation on her. 
wasn't working out so good. And then I think he actually said he checked on the kids first. Whatever. Says he did mouth to mouth on them as well, but they were all gone. And he said when he saw Colette, there was actually a small knife sticking out of her chest, which he pulled out and then tossed away on the floor so that he could, you know, give her mouth to mouth. That's the exact opposite of what you're supposed to do. No, that's a story. It totally sounds real. It's totally right. <laughs> He's the surgeon. He knows that yeah. you pull the knife out. Duh. You're totally supposed to do that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So that's why I did it. Yep. <laughs> so police and the FBI investigated and they thought that his story sounded a little fishy, but there really wasn't any concrete evidence either way. And let me just also say, I am giving like the bare bones minimum of this case. If anybody is interested, there's a whole bunch of stuff you can look at on the online if you want to get all the details about the investigation and all that stuff because it went on for a long time. So you'd think you'd find evidence of four, what did you say, five people being there? Four, four intruders, yeah. Yeah, like you... That's what I'm saying. Where, it's where, a significant number of extra yes. people to have in your Did home. they do any <clears throat> searching? Or? I'm, I'm just waiting. Yeah, the, the police, they... There was no evidence to point one way or the other. The house was like kind of messed up, but it wasn't like in shambles because he said basically the only fight went on in the living room with him. So that area was messed up, but there wasn't much going on in the bedrooms. But that's seemingly because they attacked in the middle of the night. So like he woke him, they surprise attacked him. If he is asleep on the couch and he woke up because they were attacking his wife, they would have probably have had to walk by him. Or living rooms are usually closer to the front and back doors of a house than the bedroom is. Well, he killed him. Real <laughs> quietly. Shut up. Don't Look, worry about it. I'm just. <laughs> <laughs> he was formally charged in 1970 with the deaths. It was technically an army hearing because he was an enlisted officer. It's an Army Article 32 hearing. If anybody wants to look that up. I wasn't super interested. It was presided over by Colonel Warren Rock, which I think is like the coolest name yeah, ever. That's, that's Colonel a, Warren Rock. It's a strong one it, right there. So, sounds fake. I feel like that's a name you would cast. It sounds like the guy that rescues people from prisoner war camp somewhere. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Colonel Warren Rock reporting for duty. His theme song is, I want to rock. Yeah. <laughs> At some point of this... Warren Rock recommended that the charges be dismissed because there was it was there was insufficient evidence to go forward. So he may very well have thought things were weird too, but he just didn't think there was enough to go forward. So they're not doing autopsy on the knife, anything. You don't generally autopsy a knife. I meant the bodies. I meant autopsy on the body and prints on the knife. Did they not collect anything? I'm confused. Yeah, but, like, he told you why he touched the knife, and there weren't any other fingerprints on it, but so what? I mean, so there you go. And that was the only weapon that he used to use the knife and the ice pick, and nothing was on the ice pick either? Um, I don't think that they found the ice pick. And like I said, this is bare bones. I don't remember exactly all of the details. So, because there's more interesting stuff coming. Okay. Fine. <laughs> he was honorably discharged from the Army. Wow. That's <laughs> great. That's wonderful. He's super honorable. What? Um, happy for him. Happy for him. He went back to New York for a little while, but he ended up in Long Beach, California in July of 1971. He had a great career while he was there. He worked at the emergency room at St. Mary's Medical Center. He was an instructor at the UCLA Medical School. 
He was the medical director of the Long Beach Grand Prix, which I didn't look up because it just sounded like cool and I was just going to leave it so we could guess. <laughs> <laughs> what do you need a medical director for a Grand Prix? In case people get hurt. Yeah. I know, but it's, I guess the director part is what sounds weird to me. Like, you doctor, go over there. Like, <laughs> Maybe he's like, <laughs> he's the one who books the EMS, yeah. EMT people to be there. Yeah. I don't know. It just sounded it's funny to me. a good money job. I also thought it was... I also thought it was funny that was like one of a few things that were like at the top of his, well, like what he did. the again. most important thing that he <laughs> <Yeah>. did. <laughs> not the slicing and dicing, not the teaching others to slice and dice, right. but the, the Grand Prix doctoring that he did. Yeah, exactly. I thought that was too funny. So basically he was living that baller doctor life. Then August 1974, a grand jury was convened to see if there was enough evidence to proceed to trial. And the grand jury formally indicted him on three counts of murder. So now we're in regular court, not an army court anymore. Mm-hmm. Is this uh, in California or is this back here? He came back to North Carolina. They indicted gotcha. him. They extradited him back to here. Cool. He <laughs> was given a thousand, $100,000 bail, which he posted I'm because sure. he, he's a rich doctor man. <laughs> he's fine. And also because rich white people don't sit in jail before their trial. Nope. <laughs> His trial began on July 16th of 1979. Hmm. Later. Yeah. He had uh, like a psychiatric evaluation because the whole floppy headed hippie just sounded crazy amongst other things. Like I said, I'm not going into all those details. You can look them up if you want. And then at the end of August, he took the stand and testified on his own behalf, which is always super fun because they usually make themselves look really stupid. Tell Uh, me he did that. (laughs) I, yes, (laughs) but he didn't have a choice because the prosecution had like actual evidence and he just had his story. So he had to get up and tell a story. And there was actually a woman who came forward, quote unquote, and said that it was her, that she was the one in the house. She Are was the, you kidding me? I kid thee not. And it's her story is just bananas. And okay. Where did she come from? They have her checked out. <laughs> Uh, yes. Yeah, yeah, they did. It's like about her as well. And it just, yeah, I don't, that is a whole separate can of apples. Yeah, I'm you so know. concerned over here. I'm like, what could she have? And she'll say she was, then she'll say she wasn't, then she'll say she had a dream she was, and then she'll say, no, she didn't. And she just goes back and forth. And she's clearly mentally ill. Did she's he know cl- her prior to this? No, he doesn't know her. Well, and that's like a thing when people come forward like that, it, right. it tends to be not true or like right. uh, there are other factors that are yeah, exactly. making them. Because he told this story, of course, already in the public knew. Exactly. Okay. So <clears throat> on August 29th, after deliberating for six and a half hours, the jury came back and announced they had reached their verdict. <clears throat> Anybody want to guess? Guilty. Better be. <laughs> Joseph? I'm going to say not guilty. Apparently nothing sticks to this guy. Right. (laughs) Seriously. No, he was convicted on one count of first degree murder in the death of Kristen and two counts of second degree murder in the deaths of Colette and Kimberly. Now, the reason for this. I'm about to say explain that. Mm -hmm. So the prosecution's theory of the crime, they actually got a lot of it from Jeff's story of what happened. He said that he found Kristen in their bed and that she had wet the bed. Mm -hmm. So the prosecution went with the theory, that's true, that happened. And he got so enraged that he killed Kristen. And after he did that, he's like, shit, 
what am I going to do with the other two now? So yeah. then he went and killed the other two kind of as like a cover up almost. So that's why they got second degree and Kristen was first degree. <sighs> okay. So okay. the jury clearly believed that theory of the crime because that's what they convicted him of. So then he's got all his appeals trying to find the hippie and her story. And like I said, they found the crazy lady and you know, look all that later. So anyways, if this sounds familiar to anyone listening, it's probably because you, like me, have listened to the podcast Morally Indefensible, which is out right now. I think it finished. It's only been out for a few months. There's also a show called Wilderness of Error on FX, and it's like a companion to the podcast all about this case. And so that's why it was in my brain. So you can listen to that or watch that show, and it'll give you all the details that I left out. All right, so that's the end of the first story, you guys. Thanks, I hate it. Welcome. <laughs> how, how dare he? <laughs> so disturbed. I know. All right, let's jump into case numero dos. Yes, give me more. I'm really excited to share this case with you because this case was inspired. This this selection was inspired by the lovely Jess here, and you will soon see why. This is actually the case I started I she with. Said this election, this, I was I, like <laughs> this selection. I just want to be clear: if this is a murder story, it was not inspired by me. Like I have <laughs> inspired by Jess. It's <laughs> I don't know what she's getting at here. Definitely a murder. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> My telling of this story was inspired by Jess. You'll just okay. Just let me go. We'll see. You'll see. And like, roll with it. All right. Our second story starts off a lot like the first. We have a family of four. Uh, mom is Bonnie von Stein. Nice. <laughs> Stepdad. Go ahead, Joe. You can laugh. <laughs> Stepdad is Leith von Stein. And the kids are Moose and Squirrel. <laughs> you can call me Natasha. Uh, so we got mom, stepdad, and the kids are Christopher Wayne and Angela Pritchard. They're from Bonnie's first marriage. So on July 25th, 1988, down in Little Washington, North Carolina, again, for those of you not from North Carolina, there's a, a small town called Washington, and everyone there and everyone in the state calls it Little Washington, which <laughs> to be mistaken with. with Big Washington, which always cracks me up because anyone who's from the Washington, D.C. area calls it D.C. Nobody calls it Washington. Washington. <laughs> but so, Washington is so small. It's tiny. It's, yes. So that always cracks me up. Beaufort. Yeah. So down in Little Washington, Elise and Bonnie were attacked in their bedroom by an intruder who was wielding a knife and a club. During the struggle, Leith was killed, but Bonnie survived. Van, uh, uh, van <laughs> <Someone> said Evangela. <laughs> I don't. <laughs> Angela was actually home, but her bedroom was like down, super far away from theirs. And she said that she slept through the whole thing. And this is the daughter. Correct. Okay. Do we know how old the children are? I didn't write it down. Okay. Children. No, not children. So like, Angela, I think, was but like 16, maybe. Oh. And Christopher Wayne is 20. Okay. He's not home, though. So. The cops are trying to figure out why anybody would attack them. They can't, they seem, they can't find a motive for a while until they find out that Leith... That name... Leith's. 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 Stop it. You both so hard. (laughs) Mr. Von Stein. uh, There we go. They found out his family estate was worth like $2 million. Oh, tasty. Yeah. Obviously, Bonnie and the two kids are now suspects. 
And they're like, yeah, you clearly killed him because you want the $2 million. The police couldn't find any evidence that Bonnie or Angela were involved, so they moved on to Chris. So let's talk a little bit about Christopher Wayne. In 1988, Christopher Wayne Pritchard was a student at North Carolina State University. Go Pack. Woot woot. Also here in Raleigh, for those of you who are unaware. While at school. Hey, this is a local, local joke. Okay, Sammy. <laughs> oh, I know. <laughs> got some homegrown murder, huh? Uh-huh. Tell me, tell me this episode isn't great. I know. All right. <laughs> so, yeah. So, he was at NC State. And while there, he became friends with Neil Henderson and James Upchurch, who went by the nickname. Just guess. James. What's his nickname? Jimmy. Jim. <laughs> I don't know. You don't. <laughs> Guess anything. Jimmy. Bart. <laughs> okay. Sure. Yep. There must be a lot of Jameses in his family. Yeah, I don't know. Oh, uh, James is at NC State. Absolutely. <laughs> it could have been, had something to do with his middle name, maybe. I don't know. I was what like, was it? Bart. I know his middle name. I don't know. I okay. didn't want to know because <laughs> I wanted to, to just be. You wanted me to be mad about it. They're all students at NCSU, and they bonded over their mutual love for the game uh-huh. Dungeons and Dragons. Dragons. <laughs> <laughs> I knew it. Oh, all right, God. we're gonna pause here for just a moment, <laughs> guys. Jess is a huge Dungeons and Dragons nerd. Oh, it's worse than that. Jess, Y'all tell us all know. about it. Oh God, I don't even. Where do I start? I and don't know. So when we say <laughs> that. <laughs> When we say that I'm a huge Dungeons and Dragons nerd, we're saying that I come from like really strong stock of nerds. Like my whole family are just like the nerdiest people you can think of. I have five uncles and most of their childhood was spent like hand building the armor that the the knights wore in oh god, uh, Holy Grail, Monty Python. Oh my god. Yes. So like like, very strong stock here. (laughs) (laughs) But I avoided it for most of my life. I was like, I can't let myself fall into this hole. I started dating this guy, and now I play two role-playing games every week. <laughs> and she we have a, even, we have a great time. come to our uh, Christmas thing, because it was on the night of her Dungeons & Dragons. Look, it's important, and it's <laughs> it, it's not even Dungeons & Dragons, it's Role Master. And if you are listening and you know what that is, then I'm so sorry for you and your free time. Because <laughs> you probably don't have any. So share with us. for because My I, cheeks you know, hurt. I know. I was <laughs> smiling so hard. I hate you guys. I didn't know. I didn't know anything about this because I just didn't know anything about this. I was like, "Explain it to me." So you're this, not a door. <laughs> Shut up, Candace. <laughs> well, this is why I like Jess because she's different. It's wonderful. Please. <laughs> so yeah, explain how the. What do you have to do? Okay. How does it work? So how many people have to be involved? I. You can have as well. Okay. You can technically have as many people as you need for a party, but it gets difficult when you have like more than five or six usually just because the way so what this looks like is (laughs) you've got a group of people they sit around a table much like what we're doing right now (laughs) except instead of microphones everyone has like a character sheet and a backstory and there's a bunch of dice and some snacks and so what you're doing is you have shut up don't look at me like that (laughs) i'm like dice yes so cheeks hurt Look, I I am not gonna be able to, to like discuss I'll the keep mechanics going. of the. I will keep going, but I, I'm not an expert on the mechanics of the game. But stop it! I'm, just, <laughs> my, I'm holding my cheeks literally because they hurt. Okay, so to do anything, you have to roll a d20, and if you get a one, that's like a crit failure. 
you roll a 20, that's a like a success. So your like success <laughs> level, shut up, depends on what you roll. Okay. So if I'm like, okay, my, my character in our D&D game was a little androgynous goblin named Zucchini. I would... <laughs> If I had to design a character for you, that's probably exactly what it would have been. Yeah, no, yeah. thank you. Zucchini? Yeah. Yes. No. <laughs> a little goblin, like okay. a little green Name goblin. Zucchini. Name Zucchini. Okay. Their name is Zucchini. Okay. Okay. So it was Get your okay. articles. Right. <laughs> I swear to God. This is that thing that I'm like, I don't, I don't know. Sh- okay. So if Zucchini in the moment needed to do something, like if I'm like, oh, I'm going to try to sneak out of what the room that I'm in, I would roll for whatever my DM wanted me to roll for. And if I got a one, that means that I tripped, fell flat on my face and broke a bunch of shit on my way out. <laughs> and if I roll a 20, it means that I snuck out. No one saw me and I did a great job. So, okay. like, you roll a dice basically every time you need to do something. Okay. And so for... Well, how do you know the <laughs> level of how, if we use that example, mm-hmm. okay, what if you roll, like, a five? The oh. person saw you, but you still got away with it? It's up to, it's up to the DM. Because they're... So there's... That's the, the dungeon master, guys. So they've yes. created what the one, like, what the numbers mean? Well, so they've created, like, what the scenario is, and they get to decide in the moment what... That basically means. they make this shit up as they go along because like a dungeon master is not playing the game with you but they're the one that's so they're uh, you can build worlds as a dungeon master and come up with all your own like settings and places that's the same thing like settings and non-player <laughs> characters and like different you build the storyline basically okay. or there are books that have like different chapters of storylines that you can follow so if you don't want to spend all this time creating like your own world with everything but your boo creates Yes. Yes, he is. And he's in charge. All of it comes out of his own brain. (laughs) He's very dedicated. Mind blowing over there. Oh, no. You want to sit in on a game? I think you'd really like it. I want to. I've already said I want to go. I don't want to play, but I definitely want to experience it. That's okay, but you do have to sit quietly for four hours. I have a huge problem with sitting quietly for four hours. All right, so. look, you can converse with the players, but you <laughs> can't distract be. anybody. Ew, again, that's been a problem yeah. <laughs> in our game. Now, if we get distracted, Thomas decides what we did, and it's always something stupid. So <laughs> that's, I mean, that's, like what? that's the new rule. Oh, gosh, this is going to. Okay, so <laughs> in, our, yourself out. in our game all two weeks ago, my quartermaster on the ship of the game that we're playing right now, mm-hmm. she has this issue. She's like a werewolf, but instead of turning into like a werewolf, she turns into like small animals. So she turned into a sable, which if you don't know what that is, it's like a little it's ferret. A Look, it's like a oh. ferret looking thing. And it's, it's sable too tight. They're adorable. <laughs> that's that's saber. 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 Not sable. 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 I'll show you a photo. Um, it's like, like a, a ferret. Almost like a fox. They're adorable. Yeah, they are cute. Give them a Google if you don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> They're pretty cute. Melissa was distracted by two different people talking to her. She's the girl who plays the sable. But so she got distracted. And Thomas was like, or I was, as the captain, I was like trying to pick her up and she wasn't paying attention. So Thomas was like, what are you doing? She didn't answer. She's like, okay, what are you doing? Didn't answer again. And he looks at me and he goes, she bites you. <laughs> okay. Oh, that's the new rule. If we're not paying attention, our character does something stupid and there's nothing we can do about it. <laughs> but it's a good time. It's really fun. Sounds like this guy made some good friends at NC State. Yeah. <laughs> They're still friends now. High quality friends, maybe. Uh, no? Oh, God. Did they help him kill uh, his stepdad? All right. Oh, so, they did, didn't they? Oh, we got our three homies. 
police discovered that there was a lot of animosity. Okay, guys, by the way, this is back to the story in case anyone wasn't. Oh, I was ready. In case you were confused. (laughs) Yeah. No, this one's real life. So police discovered that there was a lot of animosity between Chris and his stepfather. So they started to focus their investigation on him. Now, their big breakthrough came when Neil Henderson, one of the D&D nerds. Are we identifying murderers as D&D nerds? Because I just think that's cruel. Yep. No. Hey, back. So he, he confessed that he had taken part in the murder. Yeah. He said that on the night of the 25th, he drove their other friend Bart down to Washington and that he stayed in the car while Bart went in and attacked the parents. He said that Chris had promised him and Bart part of the inheritance if he got rid of his parents for him. Super cool. Well, it's generous, I guess. (laughs) Sure. (laughs) So in 1989, almost a year after the attack, all three of them were arrested and charged with Leith's murder. What did we say about saying the name? I I pronounced it correctly. Neil said that he was just the getaway driver and that Chris had stayed back at school so he would have an alibi, but that he was the mastermind of the whole murder conspiracy. And eventually Chris agreed. And Chris and Neil each took a plea and testified against Bart Upchurch. Upchurch was the- Okay, so that was mm-hmm. that thing. What's, what's the thing I messed up on the answer when we were playing the game for work? The criminal's delight. I know that's oh, not it. Oh, what? When they either snitch on each other or oh, oh, prisoner's dilemma. Yeah, criminal's <laughs> yeah. delight. Criminal's delight versus a prisoner's <laughs> dilemma. And, yeah. So they both snitched on the big guy, or on the guy who did Bart. the actual killing. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. They testified, and Upchurch was the only one who denied all of the charges, but he was found guilty of first degree murder, and he was originally sentenced to death. But in 1992, he was resentenced to life. He will actually be eligible for parole next year in 2022. Yeah. Do you think he's been playing D&D in prison? Do you think they play D&D in prison? Absolutely. I totally think I guess so, because you only need dice. So I... Sound terrible. I've uh, followed this guy on TikTok who has been in and out of prison his whole life, and he would talk about how they used to play D&D just so, yeah... Stay busy. Because you only, you really only need dice. That's the only physical thing you need. Don't you make everything else up? Yeah. Yeah. You can, you can draw maps if you want. You can write out anything that you need. You don't like necessarily need like materials. So I could see that being a very popular game in prison. I love that. Listeners, if you've ever been to prison or if you have a family member that has, let us know if they enjoyed playing D&D or roll whatever the hell you said you're playing. Roll master. <laughs> Look, that one's so much more math. I would say, is that like the generic version of D&D? Uh, no. Oh, that's it's D&D on steroids. So like oh, D&D, you could play in prison. I don't think you could play Rollmaster in prison. When I have a whole binder, there's 20 pages of information that I have for this game. This just sounds a lot like work. I it, mean, yeah, I'm, I'm already overwhelmed. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> Look, it's I'm great. I don't need your judgment. <laughs> no judgment, dear. <laughs> I love you dearly. Just... Okay, so Chris was convicted of aiding and abetting in second-degree murder and was sentenced to life. He was also sentenced to 20 years for aiding and abetting in the assault of his mom, Bonnie von Stein. But on June 2nd, 2007, he was actually paroled after becoming a born-again Christian. Oh, praise Jesus. (laughs) 
I don't think that's how it works. You can't just say you're a Christian now and be you like, support you're that out. Guy? There's- <laughs> <laughs> yep. That's is that why they let him out? He was no. like, I love Jesus, and they were like, Yes. I'm sure that at the parole hearings, that's helped. he was like, Ah, I love Jesus. I would never have anybody kill a family member of mine ever again. I'm so super sorry. Let me go, please. <laughs> that would not be what a born again Christian would say. Supposed to be apologizing for everything that they did. And that they yeah, he's so super sorry. Person. Oh my God, he's so super sorry. Okay, so what happened? Did he kill somebody <laughs> else before? <laughs> no. So okay. Henderson was also convicted of aiding and abetting in second degree murder. Same thing as Chris. Um, but he was sentenced to 46 years. And he was paroled on December 11th, 2000. So two of the three of them are out roaming the streets with us. And honestly, they're probably still here in North Carolina somewhere. So that's awesome. Well, where else would they go? Yeah. <laughs> I say we don't ever leave. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, it's true. <laughs> don't leave. Going on 24 years here. <laughs> no plans on going anywhere else. I started somewhere else, came here, left, and came back. Yeah, so. you did. <laughs> yeah, you did. <laughs> I grew up in Maryland. I came, I went to school at ECU. Then I went back home to Maryland for oh. 10 years or something. And then I moved back here five years ago. Because the weather's better. <laughs> it was supposed to be. I don't know. <laughs> Lately, I'm like, do we, do we live in Seattle? Oh, my God. It's so much rain. It has been raining a lot lately. My backyard is literally a swamp. <laughs> that is a story for another day. <laughs> Ugh. So, anyways, that is the end of our two stories. So, if, hey. if we learned anything here, and it's just that your D&D friends have your back. We're not done. Oh. Remember? I told I you. Say, I'm waiting for the, oh, there was no. like a task. At the Go end. ahead, detectives. Oh. What do they have in common? North oh. Carolina. Yeah. The Dungeons and Dragons thing with Jess. Well, that's not, <laughs> that's the, not cases the cases in common. common. Oh, the two weapons. Yeah, I sure. pick in the first guy mentioned a club, too. Uh-huh. Wait, I knew more when I was when we were talking about it. Oh, they both had children. Yeah. It was a husband and wife situation. Mm-hmm. It was the father killed everybody. Or Well, no, no not in the second negative, one. Negative, right. No. Yeah. But all the other ones you said were correct, but actually you're wrong. Because that's not what I'm talking about. What they have in common. Set me up. Tell me. <laughs> yes, I did set you up. <laughs> the thing they have in common is Joe McGinnis. Joe McGinnis is an author, and he wrote a book about each of these cases. I never How dare you? <laughs> oh, hold, please. So the book he wrote about the Von Stein murders is called Cruel Doubt. It was published in 1991. Then in 1992, it was adapted into a two-part miniseries of the same name. Something weird, a guy named Jerry Bledsoe also wrote and released a book about it called Blood Games, which was also adapted for TV called Honor Thy Mother. Now, I don't like that. Yeah, so critics, like when they talk about these books, they critique them because... Sorry. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) They focus heavily on the Dungeons and Dragons aspect, saying that the guys used to go down into the steam tunnels under the campus and practice with real weapons, pretending like they're really in the game. Okay, well, that's not even D&D. That's like LARPing. That's a whole different level. Right. Okay, so that's why I really want to get your input on this, because (laughs) I thought Dungeons and Dragons was much more of a strategy game and less about, like, fighting. Dungeons and Dragons is actually not super strategy-based. Well, I'm an idiot. Um, It's more, like, story-driven. Okay. Yeah. But it's Um, still not really... So, like, you'll have combat in a and d game, but like I said, it's, like, people sitting around a table talking through what they're doing. They're not, like, 
up in the living room, like, punching each other in the face, saying, like, my arm is my sword, and I'm going to smack you in the neck. Like, that's not happening. If you're dressed up and you have, like, wooden weapons, that's LARPing. Right. And normally, it'll be, like... live action role play. Yes, it is. Did you just Google it? Yes, she did. She has Google Wow. I was like, what the hell is LARPing? So you've clearly never seen the movie Role Models. Seriously. Oh, you should watch that. It's really... I own it. You can borrow it. It's, It's a good one. Okay. So yeah, critics of both of the. I love my job. Learn all these new things. I would never know this stuff. Critics of both of the TV TV versions had a problem with they displayed like a Dungeons and Dragons handbook. They're vilifying in like artwork form. That's terrible. Right? No. It was like in an effort to imply that the game had somehow inspired the murder. People love to do that. Do you own or manage a business? The people you employ represent your company and your reputation. They might drive company vehicles or wear your logo. Your business's name is in their email. Blackman Detective Services pre-screens employees for statewide or national criminal records and DMV history so you can know before you hire. Verify the resume licenses and certifications for anyone applying to work for your business and your home. Thoroughly examine your child care and elderly care and even pet sitters. Call Blackman Detective Services and put good people to work. So there was like a whole stigma about D&D players back in the 70s about how they were like like <clears throat> devil-worshipping bad right. people. It's, just, it's right. just nerdy and mostly harmless unless you're part of this group of friends that decided to kill somebody. But like... Right. Right here. It's very 80s. Also, 80s was the whole satanic panic oh, yeah. era. So it's, I don't know how that got tied into that but it totally did people were like these nerds sitting in the basement are evil right i'm like i think that they're not so much ordering murders as they are ordering pizza no it's definitely it's like pizza and mountain dew right guys it's fine joe mcginnis and his connection with mcdonald murders is even crazier so jeffrey mcdonald had this idea that if he could get a writer to tell his story about what really happened that night then everyone would believe him and if he was convicted of killing his family it would be overturned or something crazy like that. So we hired Joe McGinnis to write that book for him. Then, so that write the <clears throat> version of the story that he told the cops, like to tell his the version true of the story. story. Yes, okay, because <laughs> that's what really happened. <laughs> Sometime between him being released on bond and the actual trial, don't kill me. I don't remember all the dates perfectly. Google it if you want to know. McGinnis. I won't kill you. I don't play Dungeons and Dragons. Thank you. Appreciate Stop it. That. <laughs> we cannot perpetuate <laughs> this, this mindset. <laughs> okay. Just stop it. I feel stop a little it. personally attacked. Right now. <laughs> I just want all of you to know. I'm jumping you into our gang. <laughs> so yeah, sometime between when he was released on bond and when the trial actually started, McDonald, McGinnis, and the whole defense team moved into a house together. Oh my God. And they said it was a frat house that they ran into i'm guessing it was just like one of the older large homes near campus near nc state so they all lived together working on his defense like it was some kind of extended slumber party that's wow weird isn't that nuts i don't like that it's gross they enjoyed his version of the story right i guess they were like this is fun let's do it 24 7 i think it was only his like lead attorney that was like yeah, I'm not doing that and didn't move in. But everyone else Good. did. I, that's so weird. I don't have lives did his book or like make any money. Is my his book is very popular. 
super popular. Oh no! Well, so they had to get together because if that if you're gonna go there, this you is might before as well the book. Just, like, I thought you said they all got together to write the book. No, 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 no this, this is, is the, before the trial. They're working on his case. This is Joe working on the book. So he moves in with them so that he can learn all about the case and everything. So Jeff was like, if you live with me, you'll know that I didn't do this. I'm dead serious. I, I kind of want to read the book. So Joe and Jeff became really close, obviously. And Jeff told him his story and Joe believed him. He really did. When they were living in the house together, he was like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe this guy's going to go to prison. Probably he didn't do this. And at some point, I'm pretty sure I could be making this up. Whatever. Google it. I think Jeff's bond was. Bond was revoked or something because he did end up going back to jail before his trial started because and the reason i know that is because joe and jeff wanted to keep in contact because he wanted to keep telling him his story and this is actually something they would do for years later but they would record messages to each other like on a little cassette tape Mm -hmm. and instead of writing letters that's what they would do they would pass the cassette back and forth because they missed each other's voices yeah Yeah, that could be it (laughs) but i think what it ended up doing is that it, if you're sitting in a cell and you're talking into a tape recorder, yeah, you're telling your story to somebody, but you don't, you you think you're alone almost. So I think what so he did, just like, I think he started to almost slip with some things. And yeah. during, yeah. So during this time, Joe was also doing his due diligence as a true crime author and was looking into everything from the prosecution side. Joe wanted to tell the truth. Jeff just hoped that the truth would be his truth. Yeah. But Joe started looking into everything and he was like, Oh, yeah, I'm pretty sure he did He definitely did it. (laughs) Yeah. So he started asking him more and more questions that were a little more pointed or questions that he thought Jeff might slip up on, and he did. He starts talking about, like, how bad their marriage was and all this kind of stuff and Mm. that. Yeah. As soon as you start doing that. Yeah. The book came out in 1983, and it was called Fatal Vision. And uh, titles. The, the book did not paint him in a positive light. And in fact, it said that uh, he thought he was guilty. And needless to say, Jeff was not happy with this. And he's yeah. tried to sue him like a whole bunch of times. <laughs> and uh, Joe since has uh, passed away. But at the time, he was like, okay, buddy, whatever you say. <laughs> <laughs> and then a TV miniseries of the book also came out of the same name in 1984. People are sick. Yeah. So can't get, can't get enough of it. And if there's money to make off of it, they're gonna try. Yeah. To be fair, Jeff asked him to write this book. No, I just mean like the TV series. And oh, stuff. sure. Like, yeah, you know, people love Gore. Gore sells. Right. There's all this stuff about people talking about how like interest in the true crime genre is like gross and stuff, and it's that's just humans. Like absolutely, people used to go to hangings. Like that was a family outing. <laughs> yeah, now was, we read a book. I think was it's a better. Sunday afternoon. Exactly. <laughs> So, yes, lots of things in common, but the craziest one of which is Joe McGinnis. So, if you want to know more about Joe McGinnis as an author and everything, a lot of this information I got from myself because I listened to the podcast, which I highly recommend. It was really good. What's it called again? I want to Morally Indefensible. That's right. Okay. So, the show, sorry, the, po- the podcast is Morally Indefensible, and it's talking about this book and this story. The show... Witness of Error is about actually another author whose last name is Errol and his connection with the case and the book that he wrote. So it's covering it from both sides. I haven't watched the show, but I've been listening to True Crime Obsessed coverage of it on their Patreon. So I feel like I've seen it. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But that's another resource that you can check out. Other than that, I got most of the information from Wikipedia 
And I read a lot of articles that were out about each of the cases at the time, but I didn't use any of them as a reference specifically. So that's my cases. Good Joe girl. McInnes. Well done. North Carolina. Jess is a nerd. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> and very, now very the good. world knows it. <laughs> okay, so next week, we're supposed to have a really fun guest. Yes. Do you know who it is, Jess? Raven Coleman. She has a crime scene cleanup business, which I don't know about you guys, but I think that's pretty cool. Super <clears> excited. Um, yeah. Probably really gross. I've collected some fun questions for her, but if you guys have any questions that you want to ask her, you can find us on Facebook and Instagram and you can DM me those or post it and yeah. we'll give those to her and... I know I'm excited for her. I told Tony the hubs about it and he, I told him about she, how she was also doing like the COVID cleanup thing. <laughs> radio host told the story about how they had someone come in and clean the radio station, like deep clean COVID clean. And guy was like, I don't know how good of a job they did. Cause I've been staring at that Cheerio on the floor in the corner for six months and it's still there. <laughs> oh, no. That's horrible. Yeah. <laughs> that is not good. So she does COVID cleaning. She does crime scene cleanup. Hoarding. She does hoarding. Can't, yeah. I got so that's many hoarding that, questions. Yeah, that's that's going to be an interesting about. one. Ooh. So we'll Oof. have a lot of questions and fun stuff. And she's a really awesome lady and has a lot of experience in a very few years. She's youngish. Yeah, she's not like she's young enough young. to make me feel bad about the my lack of <laughs> accomplishments in oh life. Lord. That's for sure. I, mean, I can't keep up with her. She is oh a my very god, good no person. Yeah. She's like been in the army and been a teacher. She's still a teacher. She's like she a superhero. Still a teacher. Yeah. She, yeah, she's done so many different things. Yeah, I think she teaches at Central or A and T, one of the two. Nice. She's so. a superhero, and I do nothing. Dang. So that'll be fun for the next couple of weeks. And The Sleuth is brought to you by Blackman Detective Services. <laughs> Serving North Carolina since 1993, you can check out our comprehensive list of services through our website, blackmanpi.com, where you can also sign up for our newsletter that Jess makes and get routine updates on what our sleuths are up to. Thanks for listening. See you next time. Peace out. Blackman Detective Services. Check out our website at blackmanpi.com and follow us on Facebook. We don't sleuth shame. Subscribe to The Sleuth on your favorite podcast app if you really want to know.